0: Cheat Sheet, I'm Sinjum Flynn with Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly from ROCO, River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this week we're talking about Jules Massenet's Manon, which debuted in Paris in January of 1884.
1: Yes, French Lyric Opera. This is a, a work that has held on despite the fact that French Lyric Opera is kind of, it's not fallen out of favor, but it's just not done as often as, say, bel canto. We had the big... Belcanto revival in the mid to late 20th century, and now it's, you know, it's everywhere. French Lyric Opera is not, um, we, we're, we're still waiting for its renaissance, you know. We, st- we have works like Manon and Tales of Hoffman and Faust, uh, Verter, uh, and others that have hang on to the, the standard repertoire, but we don't have, you know, the lesser Massenet's and the lesser works by Gounod so much. Uh, showing up, as, as we do with, with Bel Canto.
0: This, of course, is not by any means the only operatic treatment of the story of Manon Nesco. Not at all. Not at
1: all. Puccini then did a, a Manon Lescaut of his own, which is also very much in the standard rep. The two of them, you know, they're, they sort of duke it out neck and neck, not un- un- unlike Bohème. Where we have Ruggiero Leoncavallo's bohem and Puccini's bohem, and poor Leoncavallo's bohem has just <laughs> been shunted <laughs> <That's right>. off. <laughs> now, now the twain <laughs> shall meet
0: <laughs> exactly. The opera is based on the Abbé Prévost's 1721 novel Manon Lescaut. This is the story of Manon. She is a young, uh, naive girl at the beginning of the opera.
1: Yes, extremely young. I and think
0: she's only about fifteen, if I'm not mistaken. And as the opera opens, we are in Amiens awaiting the arrival of a stagecoach. Lescaut, who is Manon's cousin, is awaiting her arrival because she is to go into the convent. Yes. She's going to become a nun. <laughs>
1: um, That's not going to happen. <laughs> That's not going to happen. She arrives via carriage and uh, alights from the carriage and sings this wonderful aria Je suis encore tout étourdi. I'm a simple maiden fresh from home. It's a, it's a wonderful aria that establishes her character. She's young, vivacious, full of life, a little on the light side, you know, not, not terribly deep.
0: But, but she's sort of, to some extent, sort of overwhelmed by the larger world because she hasn't traveled much. Exactly. And, you know, she is going from home to the convent. But she's also very charming and she knows it.
1: Even at this at this stage, you know, being this this young girl from the countryside, she knows the effect that she has, and she and she
0: plays it to the hilt. Along with Lescaut, we have de Bretigny, who is a wealthy aristocrat, and Guillaume, who is an old. I think he's described as a roué. He's a rake. He's a lech. And <laughs> he's an old lech, is what he is. The Minister of Finance. So he's well placed as well. Yeah. And they are both taken by Manon. Yes. They find her fetching. Yes. And Guillaume makes a play for her. Mm hmm. And he says, See that over there? That's my carriage. And uh, why don't we go for a ride? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, so along
1: comes the dashing young Chevalier de Grieux. He's on his way home to see his father. Yes. He's a young man. He's he you know, he comes from a family that has some prominence, but he's not he's not wealthy by any means. He's he's a young man just starting out in life. And he catches sight of Manon and he too is completely smitten. Yeah. And Love at first sight. And she with him.
0: Yeah. And he sings that wonderful uh, Je sais votre nom as they meet. And their exchange sort of builds into this this big love duet.
1: Yeah. And finally he says to her, let's run away together to Paris. Nous vivrons à Paris. Mm-hmm. Tous les deux. Just the two of us. And this duet again mounts and mounts and at the climax of it, off they go.
0: And they grab... Guillaume's Carriage. Guillaume's carriage. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting in all of this is that what Des Grieux is focusing on there is tous les deux, the yeah. two of us together. What Manon is focusing on is à Paris. She wants the big city. Yeah. And you really begin to see the two sides of her. Uh-huh. On the, the, fatal, the fatal flaw. Right. You know, she she is this beautiful girl. She's young. She's innocent. She's full of life, etc. But she has a taste for the finer things. She's ambitious. Yeah, and Grieux at this point is he's handsome. He's good looking. He's young. He is one of the finer things. Mm-hmm. Because she's led such a a sheltered existence. Right. So they do. They abscond in Guillaume's carriage, end of Act 1. End of Act 1. Act 2, we are in De Grier's apartment in Paris, and he is writing a letter to his father. Manon is there, and he is asking his father to be allowed to marry Manon. Yeah. They've been living together for a while, and... Um this reminds me of... Act two a- of Traviata. Act two <laughs> of There we are.
1: I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Only we're not in the countryside. We're uh, We're in the city. Right. And
1: instead of a uh, seasoned courtesan, we have a young woman of no means, who has no means to support the two of them, and neither does Descrier.
0: Lesko, her cousin, enters with de Bretigny. Mm. And they are there for what reason?
1: To abscond with Manon, basically, to come away with de Bretigny. Basically, Manon's cousin is selling her off, (laughs) in in essence.
0: Because de Bretigny knows that, uh, I mean, he wants her. He saw her in Amiens and is smitten by her. And he knows, because he is a gentleman of means, that uh, he can offer her... Things that de Grier cannot. Yeah, exactly. Can you say sugar daddy? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And in fact, de Bretigny lets slip to Manon that de Grier is going to be abducted later that night. At the orders of his father. Of his father. Yeah. Again, we're back to Traviata again, aren't we? Exactly. And he, de Bretigny, Says to Manon, I can provide you with wealth. I can provide you with protection. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, and she's she's torn because she. I mean, at this point, she genuinely has has feelings for Degria. She. I think she. I think she genuinely loves him. But, and in fact,
0: he's gone out to to mail the letter to his right, father. Right. Right. So this all takes place while he is gone,
1: and while he's gone, and she's left alone. She sings a very, very, very famous aria that you'll hear uh, ad nauseum if you go to any vocal competitions (laughs) because everyone wants to do this aria. It's called Adieu Notre Petite Table. She sings farewell to the little table that they've you know, they breakfasted on and and she's basically saying farewell to the life they've led together. Exactly. Yeah. And she's realizing what she's that she's actually giving up something substantial
0: in order to follow her ambition. Because she it's that those two sides of her character again. You have the the genuine emotion, the genuine feeling, the love that she has for Desrieux. But then de Bretigny comes along, and he dangles his baubles in front of her, and that's what she wants. Yeah. There's not much of a choice there for her.
1: No, not really. Uh, We should point out that when Grieux does come back, he has a beautiful, beautiful aria called Enferment des yeux. and it's just the most romantic outpouring no i mean romantic isn't the right word it's it's intimate it's an intimate aria
0: showing dream you song isn't it mm-hmm,
1: yeah showing you the depth of the feelings he has for her and for the life that they've they've built together and um, oh it's just it's just gorgeous and if you get a tenor who can really float it it's it's spellbinding
0: Of course, Manon makes the decision not to let Degria know what's about to happen to him. Right. And what does happen to him is what she's told will happen to him. Yeah. He is seized, he's hustled away, and uh, she's left alone, kind of uh, with with some regrets. Yeah. And that's the end of Act 2. Wondering if she made the right decision. Yeah, end of Act 2. That's the end of Act 2. Yeah. Act 3... We are on the promenade of the Cour La Reine in Paris, and it's a it's a feast day, it's a holiday. And so there are all these vendors and people are out having a good time. Among them, Lesco and Guillaume. And Guillot is doing something that we saw him do in Act One, and that is he's with these three actresses, <laughs> <laughs> these yeah, and this
1: is another. This is a something we see pop up in opera from time to time. A trio of female voices that act sort of as a a, a chorus, in essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it in in the Ring Cycle with the Rhine maidens. You see it in Dvorak's Rusalka with the um, the wood nymphs. Mm-hmm. And, and here you've got this trio, and and it's uh, oh, you also see it in, in Ariadne the in the. well, yeah, you do. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what Gilbert and Sullivan are sending up. Um, but you see it uh, you see it oftentimes in opera and and this is a really uh, wonderful trio that Massent uses uh, throughout this opera. They pop in and out of scenes
0: throughout, and uh, they are Poussette, Javotte, and Rosette. And in fact, in act one. When Manon first sees these three actresses, she's impressed by the quality of of their dress and their jewelry, etc. They have those things that captivate her. They inspire her ambition. Right. And of course, what's also interesting is that there is also that association between actresses and the demi-monde. Ah. That there is... That sense of uh, perhaps women of, of lesser virtue. Life upon the wicked stage. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, what we then find out with uh, Lesco and Guillaume and the women, who arrives but de Bretigny, and with, he's not alone. He's with Manon, who is
1: decked out <laughs> in all kinds of finery. And this is a big show-stopping show stopping Tour de force for The Soprano. Je marche sur tous les chemins. And then she goes into Manon's famous gavotte, Obey son quand leur voix appelle. This is, oh, it's just a great showpiece. Renee Fleming sings it a lot in concert. Any soprano who's, who's got any kind of vocal agility will want to take this on. And it's just men all getting out there and
0: saying, look at me. <laughs> the joys of love and youth. Uh-huh. I mean, she is here at the pinnacle of, of existence. Uh huh. I mean, she has everything that she wants and she is flaunting it. Reveling in it. Des Grieux's father, the comte, shows up. And Manon learns that Des Grieux himself is no longer the Chevalier Des Grieux. He's the Abbé Des Grieux. He has entered the seminary of saint Sulpice in Paris. Yeah. And is going to become a priest. Wow. (laughs) Manon's curiosity is piqued because... She still has feelings for Degria, and she goes to his father and tries to find out whether Grieux still has feelings for her. Yeah, Guillaume, though, is still after Manon. He was unsuccessful in Act 1, and he lost his carriage. <laughs> <laughs> now he brings a ballet troupe in to dance because he's heard Manon say that's what she would
1: like. And this is the obligatory ballet sequence that has to happen in all Paris
0: opera productions. <laughs> Making it an opera comique. There you go. But Manon's attention is no longer on the ballet. It's on her thoughts of Des Grieux. Yeah. And, and much to Guillaume's annoyance, Manon says afterwards, oh, the ballet dancers? Oh, I didn't see them. I didn't pay them any attention. I need to get to sense a piece. So once again, <laughs> Guillot's been slapped in the face. <laughs> Poor old Lech. So scene two in Act Three, we are at the uh the seminary. Saint yes. The congregation is leaving the church having heard this wonderful sermon that's been given by the new Abbe de Grieux, and he shows up in full clerical garb. And then his father shows up to try to talk him out of taking his holy, holy vows. Mm-hmm. Because he wants, his father wants the family name to continue. He wants his son to marry a nice girl, settle down, have a family, and continue the Degria name. Yep.
1: Degria is a little too damaged at this point to, to agree to that. So, in Left Alone, he sings another very famous aria, A Fille Douce Image. He is trying to get. Thoughts of Manon out of his head, and he can't do it, no matter how hard he tries. <laughs> then,
0: to make matters that little bit worse, she herself shows up. Ugh. Oi, <laughs> this begins a very famous duet
1: sequence. She starts it by saying nest plus ma main que cette main presse?" Is this not my hand pressing in yours? And she, you know, because he's resisting with every ounce of will that he power that he can summon, and she's basically saying, "I, I know you still have feelings for me. I know you must." And it just
0: mounts and mounts and mounts and mounts so she's she wants to get back together with she him does, oh, big and time. she and she's asking for forgiveness as well for for what she had done to him before exactly and she wins <laughs>
1: she he finally succumbs at the at the height of this duet and so admits to end, her
0: that he still loves her all right here we are at the end of act 3 and we are back to the same place we were at the end of act 1 Kind of, sort of. Big big love duet. But we're going to find out in Act 4 that we're not in the same place at all. <laughs> That's right. End of Act 3. Act 4, we are at the Hotel de Transylvanie, which was a famous, well-known gambling joint. And Lesko and Guillaume are among the gamblers there. And guess who's with them? Javotte, Rosette, and Pouzette. <laughs> <laughs> the good-time girls. The good-time girls, exactly. Manon arrives with des again, and he is just full of his love for Manon. Yeah, he's there
1: reluctantly, though. She's she's brought him along. She's the one that wants to be there. He does not.
0: She persuades him to get involved in the gambling. Largely because she wants him to win lots of money. Yes, she does. (laughs) Because he doesn't have lots of money. And a girl needs her diamonds. Right. And he starts playing cards with Gio, and he starts winning, winning big. And Gio starts to double and redouble the wager each time and continues to To lose. lose. Then Gio gets mad, and he accuses DeGrio of cheating. And he leaves and comes back with the police. The police. And he denounces Des Grieux as a cheat and Manon as a prostitute. Yeah. Kind of devastating. The comte enters. He arrives and he tells Des Grieux that he will do all he can to intercede on his behalf, but he will do nothing to save Manon. And so at the end of uh, the scene, at the end of the act. Yes we have this big ensemble, this big ensemble piece where Guillaume is really pleased with himself because he's gotten his revenge on Manon and Grieux. Yeah. Manon is lamenting the ending of all her joy, all her happiness. And it is most assuredly at an end. (laughs) Grieux is there swearing that he will... Stand up for her, he will defend her yeah. and do all he can to, uh, to help her. And everybody else is expressing their consternation and horror as Des Grieux and Manon are led away by the Polish. End of Act Four. End of Act Four. Act Five, we're no longer in Paris. Mm-mm. We're on this desolate road on the way to Le Havre, the port. Right. Because by this point, Manon has been Accused of prostitution and, and convicted And convicted And she is going to be put on a ship With other convicts And sent off to the French colony Of Louisiana in the New World Right And this is actually quite interesting Because here we are 1721 when the novel was published That the opera is based on We have those first imaginations Of, of the New World And here we are Manon is about to be sent to Louisiana. It's a, a penal colony. Oh,
1: absolutely. And it's, it's funny to point out, in Puccini's version of this, this act takes place in Louisiana. As, in, as the original novel does. Yeah, except in Puccini's version, it's in a desert. <laughs> Which those yep. of us who live adjacent to Louisiana know doesn't exist in Louisiana right. <laughs> anywhere, but... Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he thought that
0: Bayou meant desert. Maybe so. <laughs> Desgrieux has gotten off because of his father's intervention. He has not been charged. He's not been prosecuted. Right. And he and Lescaut, who is ashamed, of course, of what he has done to contribute to Manon's downfall. As well in, he should be. Right. Because he encouraged and facilitated that relationship with de Bretigny. Degreux and Lesco are now allies, and they are waiting for the convoy of prisoners to pass by on the road, so hoping th- that they can catch a glimpse of Manon, and perhaps spring
1: her from you know maybe maybe get her out of there, f- spirit her to uh, to safety.
0: However, when the cortege does arrive, of course, all the prisoners are guarded by soldiers. Yeah, and Lesko and Degria realize that they're not going to be able to uh, overcome those soldiers. But Lescaut is able to bribe the sergeant that is in command to allow them to have some time with Manon. And the reason that he re- the, the guard readily
1: agrees to this is because Manon herself is close to death. She is ex- just uh, near complete exhaustion Nothing in her life has prepared her for the hardship that she's endured, you know, on this forced march. And she's
0: pretty close to to
1: death at this point.
0: So they allow her to stay behind. And she falls to the ground at Degria's feet. And he takes her in his arms. And as you said, she is uh, near death. I mean, she's in a delirium. Yeah. And she's thinking about their former happiness, all the times that they had together. And you know what? It reminds me of La Traviata again. Exactly. You know, the, yeah. final, the final act. Yeah. De tells her they can have it all again. What they had before, they can have it all again. Knowing full well that they really can't. He's just giving her a peaceful death, basically. And then with the words, Et c'est là l'histoire de Manon Lescaut," She breathes her last. End of Act 5, end of opera. End of Manon. (laughs) Bless her heart. So, a beloved opera. Yeah. What is it about this character of Manon? Because on the surface, she seems so foolish. And why would you have any sympathy for her when she's constantly going after the bling?
1: Well, two reasons. Number one, Massenet's music. I mean Massenet is such a master of the melodic hook and of big romantic statements and and beautiful uh nuanced uh gestures. Massenet's just his his scores to me are, are just magic. Besides that, when you when you have a soprano who is a really resourceful actress, uh, a Beverly Sills, a Diana Domrau, a, a Renée Fleming, somebody who can really lock into this character and bring some of their own personal charm, you can empathize with Benal. you can understand the struggle in her her soul and in her head between what she has with Des Grieux, which is quite substantial and, and you know she could have she could have led a long, happy life with that guy. But she just she has this country girls you know, how
0: are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've
1: seen Paris, quite
0: literally here? Well, that's part of the, the indictment, isn't it? its It's not it's not so much of Manon herself, but in the, the situation that girls like this are born into. Exactly. Where they are not given the resources, the experience to be able to make these kinds of decisions. I mean, to go from home straight to the convent and something happens on the way, what are you going to do? And you know what? It's not just girls. I mean, you think about
1: it, you can really blow this open a little bit and look at, for instance, young kids, guys and uh, who are drafted before they're ready into professional sports, and all of a sudden they've got money and they've got people throwing things, throwing themselves at them. They've got things that they have no They have nothing in their lives to that point has prepared them to be able to handle that. And they, you know, oftentimes don't handle it well. This is the same with Manon. Nothing in her life prepared her to be able to handle the things that she saw that dazzled her and that she developed an
0: ambition for. Craved. Craved. And then, of course, you have the reprehensible behavior of uh, Guillaume and de Bretigny, all they're interested in is having some beautiful young thing on their arm to, exactly. to toy with. Exactly. And there are always Guillots and de Bretignies. Always. They're everywhere.
1: And you'll always encounter them. And, you know, God help uh, the Manons of the world because, again, they're completely unequipped to handle that. What about Des Grieux here? Well, he's kind of the real tragedy, isn't he? He really, He really fell hard for this girl and really put everything on the line for her and you know we saw he was, sincere. he was very sincere and so much so that he was willing to to give give up his social status social status and become uh, part of the church before she came back into his life and pulled him back in now boy this guy's got to be you know severely damaged by the end of the, by the end of this opera you know oftentimes we play the game you know what happens to them after this i don't think anything good happens to this poor guy i think he has really been damaged hopefully maybe he goes back to the monastery and and uh, and takes the vows and at least
0: finds some peace of mind there. <laughs> Who knows? Manon. That's this week's opera cheat sheet. I'm St. John Flynn and I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.